Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. I actually thought I was going to get to preach your funeral, and you said you're dying, but then. You know. <laughs> no such luck. No such luck. Glad you're alive, man. Glad you're alive. Question Do you remember your first kiss? Mm, somebody said, uh huh, yeah, uh huh, mm hmm. Some of you are saying, like, man, I'm old. I don't know. My 91 year old dad remembered his first kiss because I asked him about it yesterday. So you're not that old, probably anybody in this room. So you probably, if you think back hard enough, you can. And I'll, let, me, let me help you. If you're married, do you remember the first kiss to the person you're married to? Because for some of you, that was a really big deal. For others, it was like gross, and you, you didn't want to be around that person again. It was just awful, right? For others of you, you knew you were going to get married at that moment, right? <laughs> Kisses are a weird thing, especially when they mean something to you. Like, when you're, when, if you're married now and you really, like, you like the person you're still married to, a lot of you love the person you're still married to. I'm talking about you still really like the person you're married to. You go away, you come back, you can't wait to, like, kiss them again, right? And so trying to describe that to somebody, like, why, especially if it's, like, your five-year-old, and they're like, why do you kiss mom? Bleh. Like, how do you describe that to them? Alien drops into your house today and you're having to define a kiss to this person. They're watching it on TV. What do you tell them? Because you got to tell them something, right? There's got to be some truth in a kiss, because if you explain to them that a kiss is actually what we call a slap, that's really funny if you tell somebody, go kiss your mom, right? I mean, that becomes a much different deal at that point. So you got to have some truth in that, but really, can you know what a kiss is until you really have one that matters? So you need both of those things. The writer of the psalm says it like this, taste and see that the Lord is good. The see part for the Hebrews was the truth. The taste part, this was the experience of it. And when the two of those things come together in the word of God, through the word of God, we, we get to know things about God much differently. Much, much differently. How would you define a kiss this morning? How would you? Like, really? You think about that. Like, if you, if you had to, like, do it on the scientific plane, this is what it would sound like. It's the pressing of one's mandibles. That's what these are. <laughs> to another, so the labrum superius, this, and inferius, oris, comes together in the vermilion zone, which is this, right? <laughs> which science kind of gross, dissects it like a frog and trying to get at the, at the heart of something, you kind of just killed it, right? Like this is dictionary.com, right? To touch or press the lips slightly, pursed, and then often to part them and to emit a smacking sound. I love that part. How many of y'all smack when you kiss, right? Awesome. And an expression of affection, love, greeting. Well, yeah, right? So defining a kiss can be tough. I, I will even say this. We're going we're gonna to talk about God's love, and I, I would say this to you. How do you define God's love? How do you know God's love? Because for some of you, all you have your whole life, for the most part, is a definition of God's love. You've not really experienced it much. Like, if you were to be honest, you would tell people, like, my experience with God's love is kind of limited to the word, what I think it says. And here's what's really troubling about that, if that's true, is that for some of you, you've had a, had a lot of bad teaching about God's love from a parent, um, from somebody who's loved you and told you they were a Christian and they didn't love you well. So by extension, you experienced 
love. Even though you heard this is the truth, you experience love differently. For some of you, you've, you've experienced in your mind a lot of God's love, but you really never knew the truth about God's love. And so, man, it's just all over the place for you because you don't have any really foundation in truth. You just have all these different experiences of people telling you this is God's love and this is God's love and this is God's love. And it's an amazing thing when the truth of God's love through his word, his voice, his presence comes to us, and then we get to experience it in for things like forgiveness, right? Like the truth that God forgives you means nothing until you get forgiven. And so this morning as we start to dive into this prayer, this is verse 41 of Psalm 119. This is the beginning of the passage we're going to walk through. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go there. It'll be on the screen if you don't. But this is the beginning of this passage. Here's the prayer. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. This is a prayer. It is, it is a plea from one who knows the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist talks about it at the beginning of Psalm 119, all the way through Psalm 119, even to the end. So he's not like he's never experienced the steadfast love of the Lord. He's just asking for more of it. It's, it's this idea of to hunger for, to hunger and thirst for, as the scripture tells us. And I guess this morning, I just want to ask you, like, what's the dominant prayer in your heart as, as we were just led through in worship? What is it? Because on some big picture level, you're either asking God for things or you're asking for more of God. I want you to hear that again. You're, and some dominant level, your prayers are either dominated by asking God for things or you're asking for God. And God, God loves it when we ask him for things. Don't, don't hear me wrong. No, no more than any parent in this room is going to turn away their kid when they're like thirsty. Unless it's the nighttime, they've asked you for a drink in the middle of the night, maybe. But you can get my point, right? Like when your kids are thirsty, you're not like going, I know you don't want dad, go away. You just want my water. Nobody does that to their kid. <laughs> your heavenly father doesn't do that to you either. But your heavenly father knows your heart. And if all you want from him is this water, at some point he longs for you to want him more. You're no different than the prodigal son who walks up to the dad and says, give me all of my possessions I want you to be as dead. Because at some point, all we want is God's stuff. We really don't want God. And so what's the dominant prayer of your heart? Here's the dominant prayer of the psalmist's heart laid out for us right here in verse 40. Let your steadfast love come to me. The word steadfast is God's covenant love. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word has said. It's this idea of God's ongoing, pursuing, unconditional, faithful love that gets entered into by a death. Every covenant that you and I enter into, whether it's with God or with others, comes by a death. When two people get married in a place, maybe not like this, but a place like this, what happens is two people that are single are saying no to all others. They're, they're dying to singleness and to all other people and coming together to become one. So there's a death that happens so that a covenant can be entered into. And it's not a contract. It's not even a promise. It's two people coming together so God can do the miracle of two becoming one. That's a covenant and a death that initiates it. Our covenant that we come into in relationship with God comes through the death of Jesus Christ and two become one through a death. We get the better side of that, his death, our life, right? Yeah, that's right. And in that covenant, steadfast love is what we get. How? Oh Lord, your salvation is how he says it. And this is according to your promise. What I love about this is all through the scripture is this, we see this picture of it's God's love that leads. How are y'all looking at this, this side? It's God's love that leads to salvation, right? 
Like he says things like this. Here's, here's a passage from Hebrews chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Have you ever wonder why God saved you? Like some of you have been trying to figure out that your whole life. Like God, why me? There is no reason other than his love. The great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So it's his said steadfast covenant love that led Christ to come to this earth to become your sin, to take on your sin, to take your place. But it's in you getting salvation, don't miss this, that you get God's covenant steadfast love. So one leads to this and this leads to this. The scripture tells us, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love, Psalm 44, verse 26. So it's God's steadfast love that leads us into this covenant. And when we step into God's covenant, we get his steadfast love. It's the whole reason God created you and I. I love, there's, sometimes we do a disservice as teachers and people in the church and we don't explain words to people really well. And so I want to apologize for the whole church if you've walked in sometimes this place or any other place and pastors use big words like justification and pretend like everybody in the room knows what it means. Most of the time we don't even know what it means. And so can I just apologize for all of us and, and kind of make some words simple this morning for me and for you. And it's not to get rid of those words. We need those words because they're actually in the scripture, but it's just to make them make sense. The, the word justified just means to be right with whatever. The law, the word, in this case, God. And the whole reason God has pursued us is because you were not right with him. You're unrighteous, unright. And justification is God making you right with him, but the whole point of God making you right with him wasn't just to sit you at the kids' table in heaven at a distance from him. Like God made you right with him so that you could be with him. Like you were justified so you can live in the middle of God's presence. And all through the scripture, what you see from the beginning of Genesis to Malachi is God telling the people after their sin, you're not right with me. You will be separated, but my presence is going to come pursue you so that you can once again be in my presence. And here becomes the question, what happens? What does it look like when we get into God's presence? And what he tells us over and over and over again is this covenant, steadfast love. There's a lot of things that happen in God's presence. We get convicted of sin, but in the middle of that, if we're in covenant with God, love. If all you feel is conviction and judgment in the middle of God's presence, you may not know the truth that God's covenant love is not going to let go of you, or you may be lost, separated from God still. And he's convicting you, saying, you need my covering in Christ to come to me. So this morning, a couple of thoughts as we step into this. Here's the first one. If you want to experience more of God's steadfast love, if you want to see this prayer become part of your heart, more and more you hunger for him, that begins with prayer. God, I want your steadfast love more and more. That's where it begins. And really, that's where it ends. Because prayer leads to everything else. But there's a second thing I want you to hear this morning. If you're not experiencing God's steadfast love and you're not knowing the truth of it in God's word, it may be because you're not his. You may not have stepped into covenant love with him. And third, then he's going to give us some really practical things about how we have to faith him in the middle of covenant love, which allows us to taste his covenant love even more. When you have to forgive people, you have to taste his love in order to do that. It's impossible outside of that. You can go through the motions of forgiveness and say, oh, I forgive you, and then walk out of the room anger and bitter, hope a house falls on them. But if you're really going to forgive somebody, you have to drink in God's forgiveness for you in order to give out forgiveness, don't you? So here's the three things for you this morning. Prayer, 
like stepping into your salvation in Christ. If you don't have it, even if you are saved, stepping into that and saying, God, I want to live in this covenant love. Taste it over and over. And then thirdly, let God let you live it out because that's where you and I continue to taste it. We continue to have to step into that love and trust it, faith it, live in it, drink it. So let me ask you this, as tangibly as I can, practically as I can, have you been rescued by the love of God from your sin? Because if you haven't, you can't know the steadfast love of God. For some of you that, I'm not asking, have you been to church your whole life? I'm not asking, have you taken communion in your life? I'm not asking, have you been to confession in your life? I'm not asking, have you sat down with Corey and had a great conversation? I'm not asking you if you go to MC. I'm not asking you if you've heard 4,000 sermons. I'm not asking you if you read your Bible every day. Rescue covenant relationship according to the word of God begins because of God's work, not because of ours. And my question is, whose work are you trusting in? All the things you've done your whole life, are you trusting in Christ's work here to make you right with God so that you can be with God? Because a lot of us, man, we trust that the Lord wants to be with us. We just trust ourselves to get us there. And my question this morning is, who are you trusting to get you into God's presence? Here's the second question, though. Some of you are never going to experience God's love. You're never going to walk into rescue, really covenant love with God, because you've just asked God your whole life to rescue you from your circumstances, not from your sin. And you need to repent this morning of that and trust God with your sin, not just your crappy marriage or your bad kids or your awful job or your terrible boss or that you're a terrible boss, which some of us are. And that's what we want rescue from, right? Like, I'm going to be a better boss, which is great. God wants to answer those prayers, but God's not wanting primarily to save you from the circumstances of your life. Primarily, he wants to save you from the sin that has you separated from him that makes you not right with him so that he can make you right with him so that you can be with him. And live in the middle of his steadfast love. So the question this morning, the second question I want to ask you is, are you right with God by the work of God in Christ? Because without it, there is no steadfast love. You can pray all you want, and God's going to answer your prayer this way. Trust Jesus. Trust my Savior. Trust my Son. That's why he came. I, I, I spent a whole lot of time... Um, early in my life, pursuing the love of God with a lot of what I will call good intentions, reading the Bible, praying, serving others. And, and it took me a long time to realize like God's love is poured out on us in Christ because of what Christ does, never because of what you do. And I still struggle with that today. Sometimes I, I think I feel more of God's love when I'm being good and I feel less of God's love when I'm being bad. Anybody else deal with that? So at that point, are you trusting the gospel or are you trusting your gospel of works? Right? I mean, it makes sense. Like the, the better I am, God should love me. That's the way everybody else deals with me in the world. I mean, my dogs even treat me that way. When I'm kind to my dogs, they lick all over me. When I'm like get the mean voice with my dogs, they like tuck the tail and hide. That's just bad teaching about the Lord though not truth, even though it feels like our experience, it's not truth. Because the word says things like this, I won't leave you or forsake you in Christ because of him and the covenant love he's poured out on us. He's poured out his Holy Spirit within us, Romans 5, 5 says he won't leave us. And so here's, here's the last question before we step into the rest of the psalm. 
do you long for if you are in Christ? Do you long for and hunger for his steadfast love? And if you say, well, I don't know, then that's a place of repentance this morning and a place to step into it before we get to the rest of this is there that that becomes our prayer. God, let me know your steadfast love. Corey says this phrase a lot. It got used up here during worship that we long for God, um, his usefulness more than we long for his beauty. And that, that is the sin of most of our hearts. Even as followers of Christ, we, we really start longing for what God can do for us more than we long for him. And as we long for him, we realize like we get all of what God has for us. But that's even relationally how we live. I had a lady walking out the door. I shared this in the first service that like one of the places in my life where God confronted me about this was with my wife. I thought our relationship and our marriage was going fantastic. So I wanted to be praised a little bit. We're on a walk and I asked her, I said, hey, babe, you know, let's talk about our love for a minute. I probably didn't say it like that because that sounds really creepy, but I said it kind of like that, right? I said, hey, babe, let's talk about our love for a little bit. And she said, sure. And I said, so uh, this is what we're going to do. And I said, like a good small group leader, I'll go first. You know, let me tell you how your love's been affecting me. And so I just told her some things. And then I said, oh, you know, like I didn't do it like, hey, come on, my turn. But I did. I was like, so how's, how's my love been affecting you? And she, no lie, said this to me. Because I feel, I feel like I'm really super beneficial to you, but I don't feel like I'm that beautiful to you. And this lady, as she was walking out the door, said, well, every guy needs to hear that. She was, I'm 57, she was just a little bit older than me, and she's right. But this is what I, this is what I want you to hear, guys and girls, like all of us treat the Lord that way. I mean, we, we all, at some point, start to see his benefits. Because there's many. But what we fail to see is his beauty. And that's where it begins and ends. Like worship is not because of what he does. It's because of who he is at the heart of it. And if you're going to pray that prayer, at some point you're asking the Lord, I want to see your beauty more than I just want to see your benefits. Because as I see your beauty, then I see rightly all your benefits. And I ask for those in a different way. So that's the prayer that, that God would allow us to really cry out, Lord, I want to know your steadfast love according to the truth of who you are, your promises that you give us in your salvation. Now from that, then he's going to start to say this, God, you're going to, you're going to allow me to even more step into your love as you put me into different circumstances and situations. So verse 42, he tells us this. Then, notice the, the change here, he's, in your steadfast love, God, let me know your steadfast love. Let me hunger for your steadfast love. Then, then here's everything that comes after. Here's the first thing. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. This, this phrase is a picture of an enemy, not just somebody who's like saying a thing against you. It's not like on a basketball court when somebody taunts you or, or driving by in the car and somebody taunts you because you aren't going fast enough. It's not smack talk to friends. This is an enemy. This is an enemy, one who taunts me. And he's not really saying, man, then I'm going to set them right. Like, sinned. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> Jesus said it this way. You've heard it said that you shall love those who love you but hate your enemies. He said, I say to you, love your enemies also. So how do you have an answer of love for those that are your enemies? Because listen, that's not possible unless you're living in the steadfast love of God. And even though we may know the steadfast love of God as a follower of Christ, you and I have to go like live in the steadfast love of God if we're going to love an enemy. 
That's the only thing that's going to feed your soul to allow you to love those that hate you, that are talking about you behind your back or in front of your face, that are posting things about you out there that have hurt you and have never apologized, never repented. As a matter of fact, all they've ever said is, you deserve that. And the only way you're going to love them with the love of Christ is if you're consumed in the steadfast love of Christ. And he says things like this, and take not the word of truth in verse 43 out of my mouth for my hope. And this is powerful here. My hope, he doesn't say my bitterness will be the result of loving others. My wanting justice, even though I have to love them. Because some of you feel like if you love them, they're not going to get justice. Can I say this to you? Listen, especially for a follower of Christ, if there's somebody that's hurt you that's a follower of Christ, all of the justice they need got poured out on Jesus on the cross. And if you're asking for more justice for them that have hurt you, what you're saying is, God, you didn't do enough on the cross. I need to open up a little bit can of my own to pour it out on the person that hurt me. And so at some point, you and I have to trust that Jesus did enough on the cross for your wife that's hurt you or your kid or that friend or the pastor, whoever it is that's hurt you. And only living in God's steadfast love do I see that all of God's punishment got poured out on Jesus for me and the person who is taunting me, my enemy. And if it's not a believer, guess what? They turn to Christ, they get Christ covering. If they don't, you don't want to be there when they get punished in the end. Because that judgment will be way worse than anything you can do to them on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever. But we think, man, we need justice. God offers you something else, hope, that replaces bitterness. And if you want to know the steadfast love of the Lord, forgive an enemy. You want to taste it? Live in the love of God. Forgive an enemy. Verse 45 44, he goes on to say this. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. How, how does obedience come out of love? I ask you, ponder, ponder for a second. How does obedience come out of love? Because most of the time for us, obedience equals, like, if, if I obey, then you'll love me. Right? Like that's how we, most of us were raised and taught and that's how the world works. If I obey, then you'll love me. If I don't obey, you won't love me. So how does obedience come from love? So that's what the psalmist is saying. Man, in, as your steadfast love comes to me, then, this is included in the then, then I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And notice what he says in verse 45. Here's, here's the fruit of that. Here's the promise of that. And I will walk, and this is what you get to taste in obedience from love. You get to walk in a wide place. In a wide place, the word picture for the Hebrews is saying not in bondage, not in a really tight place where there's no freedom, but in freedom, in a wide place. In obedience, there's freedom. Think about this for those of you that are married. What kind of freedom is there in your faithfulness? Now, you can get goofy and say, well, my wife's never allowed me to date other people because I was faithful. That's not the freedom I'm talking about, Okay. I'm just talking about what kind of freedom is there in your life when you're faithful to your spouse? That that you get to lay your head on the bed at night without shame and guilt. Some of you are laying your head on the bed at night for things you did, for things you've done that your spouse doesn't know about, and you are in a very tight place, not a wide place. And confession is only going to come 
And freedom's only going to come as you live in the steadfast love of the Lord, believing that his forgiveness is going to lead you to live right with the spouse that you've been unfaithful to. But until you do, you're going to live in a very tight place in a cage you made that you're kept there. Think about relationships with friends that you've hurt and they don't know you've hurt them. Every time you're around them, you live in a tight place. God's, God's promise is this, an obedience wide place. But where does that obedience come from? God says, living in steadfast love leads to obedience, which leads to freedom. I promise you, the hardest thing you'll ever do is try to believe that my obedience can come from love and not for love. But as you and I live in the steadfast love of Christ, we start to believe this against everything our flesh says, says that I can live from his love and be super obedient and have joy in it and then no freedom. It's one of the most powerful ways you and I get to taste the love of God is as we live from his love and we get to see the freedom that comes from it. You and I begin to believe, wow, from his love, there's goodness in obeying. Verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. It, all of this echoes back to things Jesus taught, especially in the, in the Beatitudes, chapters 5 and 6 and 7 of Matthew and 8. One of these is, and I'm, and I'm going to put you before kings and you're going to testify in my name. Now, some of us think, oh yeah, I'm going to get stand before kings someday. He wasn't really saying it that way. What he was saying is someday you're going to get persecuted to the disciples and you're going to get set before kings and they're going to beat you. And in that moment, I will give you what to say. That puts a little different light on it, doesn't it? Someday we're going to get to speak of his testimony before kings. Where, where is that place of persecution for you? Let me say it this way. That last word shame means there's fear in this. And he's saying that the part of what you're going to get to taste in that moment is no fear. But where is the greatest place of fear for you to speak of the love of the Lord right now? Like immediately, what would come to your mind? You don't need to answer this out loud. If you want to, go ahead, please. But where's the greatest place of fear for you to talk about the love of the Lord? Is it in your own house? Because some of you right now are just petrified to talk about the love of the Lord in your own house. There's too much shame, too much fear, too much condemnation. Some of you, it's, it's the place where where you, where you want to the most, it's your extended family. And a dad, a, a brother, whoever it is, just, just ridicules you for that. For some of you, it's a, it's a workplace. People, old friends from college, that, man, you long for them to know the love of Christ. I don't know where it is. Maybe with people you absolutely don't even know. Like around people you do know, you're super bold. Your neighbor that you don't know, you could care less about. You're like, because there's shame. Listen, one of the, one of the, again, one of the more tangible ways we get to taste the love of the Lord is when we start talking about the love of the Lord. We have to trust that his love, his acceptance of us is greater than the rejection we might face. We get to trust that his covenant love, which is faithful, is going to remain faithful to us even if someone else isn't too pleased with what we're sharing. We're going to get to taste that his acceptance of us is greater than the acceptance of men. But here's, here's what's even better. Here's, here's the crazy thing. I, I make it real, just practical, practical for you. You notice how easy it is for us to talk about things we love? Some of you love to go shopping. You'll talk about your, your last deal. Like every time I meet this certain, this is a guy, by the way, not a girl in our church. I meet this, every time I see this guy, he's like, you're not going to believe where I got this pair of shoes. He's always telling me, he guy like loves tennis shoes. And he's got like 90 pairs of them. I'm kidding, but he has a bunch. 
And every time he buys one, he's always like, dude, you, you know you know where I got these and you know how much I got them for? And now what he spent for them, I would never spend for them, but for him, they're a deal. And he's always telling me about his new pair of chucks that he got. He calls tennis shoes chucks because I guess Chuck Taylor's back in the day used to be a pair of tennis shoes. You could have Converse. And anyway, he would call them chucks. Look at my new chucks. I got them for $190, got a deal. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know people like that? They, they, they get a new car, a new truck, and they're like, dude, you need to see my truck. Double cams. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool, right? Double cams. You need to see my new puppy. Love it. And they will, no lie, they'll do this. Like, look, my puppy. And it's their cover picture like that. Right? And you're thinking, you're weird. A picture of dogs on your phone, not your wife? What's the matter with you? But people will talk about that stuff as long as the fear of talking about it wherever they are is very low. Like, as soon as the fear gets greater than what they kind of love, then they'll shut up about that stuff, whether it's a dog, car, tennis shoes. If, if you're going to talk about love, it's, that love has to be greater than your greatest fear. And this is what I know about fear. For most of us, it's way more powerful than the Hesed covenant love of God. And this is why, everybody look at me, because you've tasted fear way more than you've tasted the love of God in this world. This broken world has allowed you to taste fear in a hundred different ways. Whereas the love of God only comes through Christ and it only comes through prayer and only comes through his word and only comes as we experience it in other believers. And for most of us, if you're not living in community because you've been hurt and you're afraid of love in community, guess what? You're missing out on tasting the love of God. Some of you have said, I'm so afraid of getting hurt again. I'm never going to be in community. Guess what? You're missing out on the love of God, of tasting it. Some of you said, man, I, I will pour into people, but I'm never, you don't say this out loud, but practically, functionally, you don't allow anybody else to look into your life, peer into your life, speak into your life. You are great at asking questions to everybody else. You are phenomenal at digging into everybody else's life, but if anybody else comes, like even trying to peer into your life, you're like, whoa, 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 no touchy. <laughs> and, we, we, and pastors are great at this, man. We're great at like, pursuing everybody else but not letting anybody pursue us. And that's partly because a lot of pastors have been hurt so much they don't want to let you in. So don't let Corey do that. Don't let David do that. Don't let Jeff do that. Put the arms down. Reach in. Kindly, gently, but keep pursuing. Same thing with your MC leaders. Same thing with anybody that's ever discipled anybody. It hurts. And for some of you, you've just said, I'll, I'll keep pouring in, but I'm just not going to let anybody in. And you hear me, you miss out on experiencing the love of God. So how do we get to the place where we speak of his testimonies and we're not put to shame? Verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments. And we can read that like the guy's in love with God's word or we can read that like the word intended us to read it. This is the living voice of God. It's God's voice, God's presence with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we delight in his voice, we're delighting in him. And I just want to ask you this morning, what do you delight in? The word delight means to be consumed by, overwhelmed by, hungering for. 
I shared this thought in the first service. I, my grandmother's house, man, there was like at Christmas time, there was three tables and the adults sat way over here. The kids sat way over here and it was okay because the kids sat here next to the stove and in the stove came out homemade fresh rolls, that yeast rolls that my grandmother made. Anybody ever had a yeast roll? Man, to die for, right? And you know what? It's just bread. It's just bread. But there's something about the recipe that's really good, but there's, here's the biggest thing. It's just fresh. Like fresh bread is just, on one hand, bread, but on the other hand, it is money, right? The fr- experiencing the fresh love of the Lord isn't, it's not new. Like some of you this morning are being reminded of the love of God, and what I need to tell you is like, you're being reminded about a hunger that you have for it, and some of you still aren't going to eat from it. You're just going to look on it like a memory. Oh, yeah. I remember when I tasted the love of the Lord. That's good. Yeah. And you know what you're going to go eat this afternoon? The love of your spouse, the love of your kid, the love of your dog, the love of a car, the love of sunshine. And you're going to try to let it fill you up, and you're going to get hungry. Like eating cotton candy. It's going to taste good for a moment, but then you're going to be super hungry tomorrow. Hunger for the word of the Lord. For you as a believer, it's not new, but it can be fresh every day. Mercy is new every morning. What do you delight in? What are you consumed by? Psalmist said, when I delight in you, I love this. And notice how he ends here. I will lift up my hands. Worship. Not the word. We don't, we don't worship a book. We worship the one whose voice is living here. We worship him. What you love, you worship. That's the driving teachings of Jesus. What you love, you worship. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And as you worship, watch this, and you get to taste the love of the Lord. But it all comes from what you love, which all comes from living in his said love. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to walk into a moment of repentance. I'm going to turn this off. I walk down here and grab my communion cup. If you don't have one of these, I want to encourage you to grab one over here, here in the back as we walk into communion. I want to encourage you this morning with a couple of things. What's been your overwhelming prayer of your heart over the last weeks and months? And again, I don't want you to feel condemnation of your overwhelming prayers. God, I need you to rescue me from this situation. I just want to ask you this. Is, do you want to be just rescued from the situation or do you want to be rescued to God? Like, so you can see his face. Some of you feel like, God, I haven't seen your face in so long. Get me out of this fire so I can see your face. That's a great prayer. But even if your prayer is just, God, get me out of the fire, I just want to encourage you this morning. I mean, for some of you, it needs to be repentance. You need to, like, turn from that and say, God, really all I've wanted is your stuff and not you. And if that's you this morning, we're going to repent. For some of you, you've stopped praying, God, I want to know your steadfast love. And, and all your prayers have been just about other other things, like the genie in the bottle Corey talked about. Let's begin with the prayer piece. And I'm going to walk us through this. God, hear our confession this morning. And right now, you need to confess to the Lord that what you've been longing for most is this rescue from circumstances and stuff. God, then, then hear our confession this morning. God, we long for you and your steadfast love. Help us, O oh Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. Cry that out to him right now. The good news of the gospel is we don't come and repent to the Lord to get his love. We come and repent because we have his love. And 
the, a little kid, if you want to see how a parent parents, watch a little kid and the way he responds to dad or mom when they're in trouble. Now, all kids get a little bit afraid, but if a kid starts to learn that it's a safe place with their parents when they're in trouble, it's a beautiful thing. doesn't mean they're not getting disciplined. It may mean they get disciplined a lot. They just realize like they're loved in the middle of their discipline. And here's what I want you to hear. In the middle of your confession and repentance, we run to the Lord because we are believing in his steadfast love that we're in it, not to get it. And so this morning, here's the good news of this cup we're going to take. We don't take this to make vows to God. We don't take this to say, God, I'm never going to pursue other loves again. God, I'm going to stop praying selfish prayers. That's not the point of taking this. We come to this because God has said, I've covered your selfish prayers. We come to this because God's saying, my love is perfect and faithful even when yours not. We come to this because he transforms us as we repent. We don't come to make vows. And so take the top layer off and grab the cracker and I want you to do something before you eat it. I want you to break it because it's a picture, a reminder to us that God's body, that Jesus' body was broken for us and it was broken as a sign of his promise that his body would be ripped and torn for us for our sin, carrying your punishment. And he said, every time you take this, do this in remembrance of what I did for you. Take the bread. And as I said, every covenant was begun with blood, with a death. One of the most beautiful things I love about God's promises to us is that he's fulfilled them all. There's a few left to be fulfilled in his return, but everything that gives you his love has been fulfilled. The last one is just face to face. Everything else he's fulfilled so that you can know his love. The last one just means face to face in his love. But we take this not as a hope for the future, but a reality of life now in Christ and his steadfast love. God, we long for your steadfast love. Remind us today. Move us today to believe that you live in us. Pour out your love in us because of Christ. Drink this in remembrance of his love in you. Thank you for being our body. Broken for us. Thank you for being the blood poured out for us, Christ not just the forgiveness of sin, but making us right so we can be with you and know your steadfast love even now. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.